Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I'm a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I'm passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I've found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. I'd like to welcome Craig Temple to this conversation. Craig is a dear friend of mine who I think so effortlessly embodies the qualities I see as new masculine. Craig describes himself as a writer, a cis et cetera man, and a son of menarchy. As I'm sure you'll continue to see, he is gifted in the realms of words, humor, and depth. Craig's voracious curiosity about the world makes him well-informed about the impacts of traditional masculinity on all levels, the individual, the societal, and the planet. I couldn't be more thrilled to raise this man's voice up into our conversation around the new masculine. Everyone, I introduce to you Craig Temple. Hello. Thanks for having me. I, um, thanks for the kind words. I'm excited to be here to talk about this. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear a little more about the ways in which you've created that your identities that you listed for yourself um, <laughs> yeah. for this podcast. I think that our listeners would love to be welcomed into your world a little more. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's um, okay. The um, I guess cis et cetera is kind of a, I'm all about the wordplay being, being a, a wordy, but um, a cisgender is uh, as opposed to transgender. It's one I suppose who is, um, identifies with the gender they were born into um so there's uh and then uh uh, uh heterosexual as opposed is there's kind of a collaboration of uh, cishet is a term that's being used to kind of identify people that have uh, enjoy the privilege of not uh facing the prejudices against either uh transgendered uh identities or 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 gay identities so there's that's kind of a, a flag and i i think I have more than just those privileges, so I add et cetera at the end of that. So cis et cetera is kind of like, you know, I got, I kind of, what I like to say is I won the genetic lottery the nine months before I was born. You know, I, I was, so much was decided for me that uh, put me on easy mode on the cultural path through life. And I think it helps to be aware of that. It's not something I, I feel bad about myself for. It's not something I'm going to uh, flagellate myself, uh, but I, I think I have to be aware of it and be conscious that uh, for doing nothing, I have inherited all these advantages. And I think it's helpful for any of us to think of that. And it's not to say there's no disadvantages or burdens, but personally, I think there's a lot more advantages than burdens by being a cis, et cetera. Man. So it's a, it's a collective term for all the privileges that you could uh, yeah, yeah. have being no, a, I was, a I white was, man. 
I was born, you know, a straight white male in Canada, English speaking to, you know, middle class family. I mean, that's that's a the the hand I was dealt in our game of poker was it's looking pretty good out of the gate. You know, I didn't get the royal sampler that some people get, which I think, you know, going away from that card metaphor, I think that makes you a really uh, diverse and interesting and strong human being. And especially in our culture where that there are disadvantages with that. Um, a lot of people are going to have to grow up and face these adversities. And when you face adversities, you become stronger and, you know, you, uh, you become a real um, whole human being. Uh, you have a tendency to be aware of a lot more than somebody who has never had to face those same hurdles. You know, you, you come up just the first, if you've never faced adversity in your life, you're in trouble. It reminds me, one of my, one of my favorite metaphors is, um, you heard of the Biosphere 2? Um, yeah, remember the, it's in Tucson, Arizona, where I'm from. Oh, there you go. Like uh, Biodome, the movie yeah. with Pauly Shore was, mm -hmm. was set in there. Biosphere 1 is the Earth. Biosphere 2 is this, they tried to make every climate on the planet and so totally self-contained, uh, hermetically sealed. Um, Biosphere 2, when they built it, everything was going well, but uh, shortly after they put it, all the trees fell over. And they were like, oh, what happened? We must have missed something, the nutrients or whatnot. But they realized that... Um, all the trees fell over because there was no wind. And wind is essential for creating stress wood. With, when trees aren't stressed constantly with wind, they weaken and their roots aren't as strong, so they fall over. And I love that metaphor for just thinking about my places where any of us have faced adversity. Is this, you know, it's cliche to say, but it does make us stronger. And without that, we wouldn't be as capable to handle a lot of things and might fall over, which I think is what we see a lot of cis, et cetera, males are, you know, especially in this conversation now where they're facing ideas about their privilege and their gender and the social climate, they're, they're falling over. We're seeing where they haven't dealt with wind in their life. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I really love that metaphor that you've painted. Yeah. And I love that it has just a, a callback to my hometown. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, go to some. <laughs> and you also had a metaphor in there around the sons of menarchy. What, tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Oh, Sons of Menarchy. Okay, another wordplay on, on uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy, which I haven't watched the show, but I know it's a show about, you know, I gather about hyper-masculine, toxic masculine, biker gang males, you know. Um, menarchy, though, is, it's, a, it's the coming of age for women. It's their first, it's their first uh, menstruation, their first moon. Uh, and it, it's really a coming of age. Um, so I think Sons of Menarchy can be, I kind of see it as a coming of age for men as they're coming into their own femininity which we haven't really most of us the way we brought up in the culture we don't have that handed to us early so it, there is a bit of a, a change period and a coming of age when we we realize this um, and I think for me that kind of started happening around the me too a couple of years ago is just kind of realizing like okay hang on a second what are we what are we looking at in this world what are where have I where, where have I not seen the truth of this world where have I been had my head in the sand a little bit and it, uh, it's something that can change you once you see from the other side. It's, you're going to start seeing people and having that empathy for people. You're going to, the world's going to look a little different for you. And that's where I think that, and I think the sons of menarchy, if I, it's something I'm trying to put some energy into is a group of men that have that influence of the divine masculine and divine feminine. And maybe we can get together like a, our own sort of gang uh, but for good in the world and to kind of help our brothers out and see, see, help them into their own femininity. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what 
my this is my version of of creating the sins of monarchy this this podcast is bringing men together and i love the way that you described it as like a coming of age of the feminine within us as men um because i see it as such an important part of our evolution as men is to integrate our own feminine space that doesn't mean we're female that doesn't mean we're less of men it actually is Mm adding more skills to what we already have and bringing in a part that's really important and is connective and that has a lot of empathy involved in it. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, we have a long, long, long heritage of female ancestry. Our mothers and mothers, 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 going back to the very dawn of time, if we deny that, we deny half of our heritage, half of our ancestry and half of our strength. I mean, as much as we need that masculine, all of us, male and female, that feminine side, that's, we're, we're, we're a child of both. Yeah, and did you, do I remember correctly that you have like a, a Facebook group that's called The Sons of Menarchy? Yeah, oh, it's, I started it around, sort of around this time a couple of years ago. So it's in the fall of what, 2017, right? When, uh, was it 2017 or 16? When, 2017, I think, when, when uh, the Me Too was really coming out. And I, you know, I knew intellectually that you know, women were, there were a lot of women were suffering a lot at the hands of men. But uh, I don't think, like a lot of men, I don't think I really realized that how many, how every woman has a story or two or two too many. And yeah, that was shocking to me when I yeah. saw how many of the women in my life were impacted in that way. I, yeah, I knew yeah. it on a, on a certain level. I'm a, mm-hmm. I have a degree in social work. I've worked in yeah. child welfare spaces. I know what that is. And I still was completely shocked. Yeah. And that's that. I think it's a hope. It's going to be an epochal moment for us as humans, certainly us as men. And I, I mean, I've been tracking the conversation for a while. It's been something I've been interested in. I've been, I've been doing some writing on it, writing about that. But um, that was a point where it really became much more real. And I felt, you know, I need to, okay, we got to act at a certain point. If you just stand idly by, you're, you're complicit in a way. And what I do notice is that a lot of times at times I haven't felt I've been welcome to the conversation. And I think a lot of men aren't. And I think part of that is because they weren't really having the same conversation. But part of me is like, you know, we don't, we ought not to expect the victims to be able to have a a clean and and generous conversation with the people who look a lot like the people who've been victimizing them. So I think a lot of the responsibility is on men to help other men and change other men. And I think a lot of that is because men are hurting and not being heard and you know there's no voices out there saying hey you know I, I i see what you're saying and i see there's some truth in it and what about this so that's what i'm hoping to try with my facebook group uh, sons of menarchy i've been trying to understand and build empathy with the men out there who are you know the, you know the, the the proud boys and the not all men folks and all these guys which because at the core they they need they need to hug <laughs> and uh, nobody's given them a hug and as a result they're being incredibly dangerous and that's how do we fight that yeah oh, i so appreciate you being one of the men with me that is stepping forward to have this conversation in a different way and that is uh just taking a seat at the table in a in a way that is about challenging ourselves to be better mm-hmm. and challenging ourselves to connect with those that we don't connect with and finding ways of creating empathy and in a, in a, in a new way that's safer for all yeah and there's a there's a there's a space and I think part of it is missing is that there's a space for being um, standing and perhaps even fighting against behavior that is harmful. And that 
has to happen from all of us, especially men. Um, but there's also, we have to be willing to have our arms open and, and embrace the person doing that behavior if they're willing to change or help heal their hurt. And that will end that cycle, you know, of, of them hurting and hurt people hurt. I think I've heard you say uh, a number of times. It's, it's, I think too often we're missing, we're just stuck in the standing against the behavior, you know, combating the behavior, which is absolutely important, but ultimately uh, isn't going to end that behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to pull out a little bit of your own personal stories now of how you've integrated masculinity over time. What are some of the stories you learned early on and how have they changed? Um, I grew up without uh, knowing my father. I've had father figures, but I kind of see that in a way as a privilege uh, that I have that a lot of that some people don't. And not always growing up without a father isn't always privilege, but I, I didn't have that um I think boys that have a father just automatically look to their father and receive so much of their worldview is just handed down from their father, which was handed down from their father and their father. And it's a lot of uh, opinions and thinking and everything is just, it just comes prepackaged for everybody. And I didn't get that. I got kind of, my mother was kind of my, my focal point in my life growing up and my central, just kind of just their stable presence. And, you know, so that's kind of the, the sons of, of the moon or the monarchy is where that comes from. And I think that's such a important thing that you're pointing out that so much of what we all learn about what it is to be a man or masculinity comes from the men in our lives or from the people in our lives. It's sort of passed down traditions and sometimes for better or for worse. <laughs> mm -hmm. So being a young boy that grew up not knowing your father, how would you say that shaped your views on masculinity? Um, I think I was kind of an oblivious child. Uh, I was fortunate enough to not be aware of a lot of the important things. I think kids are like that in general. You know, they're, you only have to, you're only aware of what you're, what's right in front of your nose as a child. I said, at least that was my experience. Um, so I didn't really think about masculinity. I didn't really think about that, but I think it did influence me, obviously, because I didn't get a mode of behavior. I didn't get the, toughen up or die that a lot of boys get, you know, I didn't get uh, a lot of that expectation to, to, to just a way to conduct yourself as a man, you know, be a man, you know, which is, has uh, often has been a very uh, toxic way of, of shaping and grooming boys into, into men. Yeah, it's so true. There's that control aspect that we put on boys and that we shame them into hardening up or being more masculine in some way. Um, so I think that's so true, but my assumption, and maybe I'm incorrect in this would be that while you maybe didn't receive that really early on, did that start to show up in your, when you entered like school age and when you were around other boys, did you start noticing ways in which you had to still confront that? Hmm, interesting. I, now, that, just as you're saying that, I realized that I, most of the friends I had growing up, I lived kind of far from town, so I didn't have a lot of kids nearby that I could just go and hang with. Uh, but most of the friends growing up were uh, boys of single mothers, you know, divorcees. <laughs> so I don't wonder how, how much, how if we just kind of glommed together because we were, uh, I kind of see it as more of an inside out, uh, my personality is rather than just a, a, in general, not just with masculinity, but, you know, not... Um, 
doing what everybody else does, kind of playing to my own uh, my own drummer. So I don't know how much that has. I, I definitely have had lots of father figures in my life, and that's one thing my wife has said. It's like, oh, you collect father figures. I was like, oh, really? And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of realized that. It's, it's in a way I've gotten to pick and choose uh, who my male influencers and my male mentors have been. I've had some stepfathers who uh, were good people. I didn't really look at them as fathers, but it was more, you know, we developed, even still, we still uh, connect and, and are friends at different, at varying levels. And, uh, but uh, I kind of got to kind of, I navigated as a child what I thought made sense. You know, I, I took a lot of things to heart that I was told from, from others, but a, a lot of things just didn't make sense to me. So I just rejected them all. That's such a fascinating childhood you had and i think in many ways set you up for a lot of success having so much choice like you notice that your friend group was very similar to who you were very similar in not having father figures in their lives consistently and so you as a group get to decide the rules of what it is to be a boy rather than being told it so much and as you were saying you collected father figures your whole life and so you get to pick and choose the parts you like and the parts that you don't like. Yeah, and I kind of, I, I never, I don't, I think a lot of it happened subconsciously, but, uh, oh, the image that's coming up in my mind now is, you know, I, I was born in Canada, but I, for grades one through seven, I lived in the States, out in uh, New York State and Connecticut, and uh, kids in whatever grade, third grade, you go through DARE training, you know, the drug, assistant, drug abuse resistance education, and I just remember a lot of that made sense to me and it seemed okay makes sense some of it was like mm, that seems a little weird but i didn't grow up and not took a lot of the, the cultural wisdom of okay don't do this and that until i took that to heart and didn't really experiment until i got older and kind of kind of could look at that uh, but with regards to you know you hear a lot of messages of of morality or how to conduct yourself from uh, a lot of them are from good places others are bad you know from sesame street to this and i just kind of all the ones that came in it kind of it's I kind of was able to measure them against my own sort of idea of, of okay that that makes a certain amount of sense I'll I'll I'll, I'll put that in the, uh, in the in the in the hopper and use that but other things were just like mm, you can tell my mother is probably if she's going to hear this she's going to be shaking her head because uh, I was the one that was always a willful child that would like would just not accept authority for the sake of authority. And, you know, she has so be happy to tell anybody. It's like, uh, she knew all my principles on a first name basis. And they would always say, oh, he wasn't a mean kid. He's just, just he just he's badly behaved. He just doesn't, he's <laughs> kind. He's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, I wonder where that comes from in you that you had sort of that really clear understanding of self and what your boundaries were and what you were going to allow into you or not. I think. Many of my conversations with men in my coaching work or even on in my interviews so far on this podcast, many of us have experienced um, that being taken away. That ability to decide for self, that ability to choose for self is quickly taught out of us. And then we're trying to live up to a set, an ideal set of characteristics that we label as masculine in this culture that have been a pretty tight box for many of us. Mm. So I just, I'm fascinated to know, do you have any clarity on how that developed in you? Or do you feel like that was just an innate thing in you? Probably a little of both. I think my mother had a big part of it because she was um, definitely raised uh, as a free spirit in a very tight box. And so 
Um, perhaps at times I was given too much uh, space to roam and run and 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 raise holy hell, but there was always still that guidance and the you know I don't think there were too many times that were I had to. I did things that were really uh, regrettable and just, you know, like again, misbehaving, naughty, but, you know, you know, jumping up on the, climbing up on the school roof to get the balls down that got kicked up there, but, you know, not, 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 not doing anything that would uh, hurt other people. So maybe there wasn't, maybe she had her eye, it was a benign neglect, but she was, she was actually watching carefully, making sure I wasn't doing anything too, too stupid, but I don't know. Well, it's something that I think comes so clearly across when you know you, Craig Temple, um, and I'm sure your mother knew growing up that there's an innate sense of good in you and a, a wanting to do right by people, pushing the boundaries, yes, and misbehaving some where the box is too confining. And yet there's an inherent goodness in you that can really be felt and trusted, I think, in many ways. Yeah, and I, 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 one thing I do try to keep an eye on with myself is a lot of times when I said earlier that I was kind of oblivious as a child, so it takes you a while, I think, everybody before you kind of can empathize with somebody else and realize that they don't necessarily think and feel and uh, attack problems or anything the same way you do. So just to be aware of the effects of being, uh, you know, there's a, there's a line between being your true self and, and editing yourself so as not to affect others. And I think as long as you're aware of that and can choose that, you get to make the choice whether how much you want to do and just notice what your what your behaviors have on others and then get to choose that but i think maybe i get to i put myself uh ahead of uh or at least equal with others needs as much as uh, as much as i can whereas instead of it becoming a a lot of people have trouble i think because they will just subvert their desires and, and behave a certain way so that other people like that you know being nice instead of kind yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, I'm, I think I'm have been at different points in my life, definitely been that boy um, or that man that uh, tries to be the nice person rather than seeing myself as equal. And I think the thing you're bringing up, two concepts come to mind that you're sharing is empathy and shame, maybe. And the empathy piece is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, to understand your impact on others, to be able to, to feel the people around you. I think that is such an important part that needs nurturing in the masculine right now. And mm. I think it's such an important part of the new masculine. And yet some of us learn how to, we may label it as empathy, but we actually learn to read the others around us so well that we do know how to keep ourselves below or to be nice or to not show up as an equal in the conversation mm -hmm. as a coping strategy. And I think inherent in that kind of system, there must be some level of shame to want to position yourself below someone in order to stay safe or, to, or in order to make the other person feel okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think the, you know, the gender norms were handed down as, as boys and girls play a lot into that. The expectations of, I think a lot of, a lot of boys are taught, you know, okay, just you keep yourself to yourself. You fend, you're on your own. You know, don't, don't expect any kindness from anybody else. And so you don't have to offer it to anybody else. You know, you can be that, keep your fists up and your elbows up to protect yourself. And, you know, I think that's, a way of staying safe and keeping that uh, those boundaries protected, but not 
in a very healthy way. Yeah. And you described that it was a journey or a process for you to sort of uh, integrate that empathetic skill. How did you go about doing that? What were the ways in which you learned that? Hmm. Well, I think growing up has a lot to do with it. And I think for everybody that probably happens at a different age. But um, probably it really happened. Well, two things is um, with my wife, who I've known for 15 years now, it was just somebody that I felt um, safe to talk to and to be vulnerable and be no, you know, kind of lower those, those fists. You know, I'm picturing a boxer who has his gloves up to protect his face and his body and his elbows together to protect his body. You know, I think as kind and as happy as go lucky as I was as a young man and young adult, I didn't realize until I found that safety of being just my true self and vulnerable and not having to worry to protect who I was with my wife, Jude. Um, that's when I kind of was able to lower my guard and just let down and relax those defenses where I realized, oh, I was not nearly as happy or as comfortable or as safe as I thought I was. It was just that, that, that really helped me, um, open myself to open my heart up so that there can be more connections. I think we're as, uh, the, the old masculine does not permit any sort of that heart connection that vulnerability um and maybe there's good reasons you know for our our bodies and our 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 males doing that going back all through history of of time but uh only when you can open up with that and you can kind of see okay it's safe for me to be who i am and i'll listen to others and you can sort of permit yourself to feel what others are feeling and i think when you have your your defenses so so tightly walled around you it's hard to see past them yeah, I mean, and it's possible that evolutionarily there was the need for that at one point, but I think it, there's so much evidence that that's not where we're at anymore, and it is time to evolve the masculine, and it isn't. It is time for us to move forward, and I love that you can see how important that empathetic piece is, that ability to listen and to hear another's experience and hear how someone might be impacted by our behavior. I think that's such an important part for us to really develop some comfort with because it's not always easy to sit there and listen and hear that you've had a negativeness potential impact on someone mm-hmm. and yet beyond that discomfort is actually a place of more open-heartedness is actually a place of more connection and I think what you were describing was that your wife in many ways invited you into that space a little more and i think that happens a lot in cisgender heterosexual relationships is the men are invited into that space by their wives i'd see a lot of men being able to do that in their primary relationship with their wives but not actually able to take it very far outside of that and bring it into the rest of the world so i want to just celebrate that you are able to do that and see if you have any insights as to how you do that. Mm. Yeah, I think that it comes down to my, I don't know what you call it, my independent streak or my, uh, I know I've grown up, I never really believing in rules, just they're kind of rules exist because there's a reason why it's, there's a reason behind every rule. And if you know the spirit of that rule, you can kind of, oh, okay, well, the, don't go on the school roof the, is the rule because you don't want kids falling off the school roof. So if you just don't fall off the school roof, you'll be fine. You know, that's. <laughs> 
so with navigating these things, I think a lot of men, if they can be themselves and be hard open with their their loved ones, going out into the world, they are faced with the rules of behavior for you know interacting with the guys at the at the tire shop or you know the guys I play I play hockey as a as an ice hockey as a goalie and as a result I play for so many different teams I just get a call and then get to do that so I get into it's kind of interesting I go into these rooms with 15 guys that some of them have known each other for 10 15 years sometimes 30 40 years and they're all totally new and I just get to sit in the corner quietly and I hear these these little interactions and some of them are it's every room is totally different every group of guys but there's definitely that that group think you know that group you know don't stray too far from how you're supposed to conduct yourself or you'll get a little smackdown and with with I think with men, especially the old masculine, that that sort of play fighting is part of how you're grooming the behavior. You know, that the sparring and the play fighting definitely keeps the behavior in line. It's a different, it's a different sort of sparring and play fighting with, with women, I think. But uh, it's so it's it's hard for somebody who I imagine somebody who feels so strongly to uh, that need to conform or not conform is kind of an ugly word, but need to be part of a pack, part of a community, a tribe, and uh, it, going outside that at all, it's it can be scary. You know, as much as I think we are evolutionarily, we are predators. We're also tribal. You know, it's the there's the the duality in us. You know, staying together uh, helps us. The pre-humans that stayed together were the ones that got us here. You know, the ones that went off and did their own thing. Sure, they might survive for a generation or two, but they're less likely to survive than the ones that just kind of stuck together and all rode at the same time and kind of behaved the same. So it's. I think how to being comfortable with having other people look at you like you're you have two heads. I think that's a big part of it, and that's not easy. I don't know how I can. I don't know how I do it. I don't know how others could do it. Yeah, I think that what you're pointing out is so important because one of the reasons why we do stay within those parameters and we do knock each other down is for the majority of us the biggest fear that is there is rejection or abandonment or loss of love or not belonging, something in that vein. And so if you stray too far outside of it, it does feel unsafe. It does feel like you won't belong. And I think that's interesting that you brought up the whole evolutionary standpoint of like the early humans, the ones that stayed together were the ones that survived. And in many ways, we've as humans have evolved beyond the food chain and are have most of our basic needs met, at least in the Western world and least in much yeah. of the world. And it's just interesting to me that we're no longer trying to survive in the physical sense. It's actually much more about survival in the social sense. Yeah, I think of that a lot, the difference between natural selection and social selection now. I mean, what what got us through Mother Nature's gauntlet to, to our meat suits to get us here it's very different than what can help us thrive now. I mean, yeah. And yet we're still playing out some of the same fears. Yeah. It's so strange how we do that. When you're in those locker rooms, when you're in those spaces with other men, and you do notice that more traditional style of masculinity or when the locker room talk shows up um, in those spaces, how do you navigate that? Oh, it's interesting. Um Generally, and it's a little weird as a as a goaltender because it's it's funny. The goaltender on a on a on a hockey team it's a very lonesome position. You're the outsider. I often there's a lot of analogies to being uh, 
almost like uh, the feminine uh, or uh, treated as a woman is treated compared to everybody else on the team. You're expected to do your job uh, and keep quiet. You're, you're not, they're not supposed to, uh, on, in, the hockey, in the hockey culture, you don't talk to the goalie really. You don't mess them up. He's kind of voodoo magic does his thing and you don't bother them and they shouldn't say anything for sure. Just you're kind of expected to be there and be support and do nothing. So, so fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I've only been playing for 10 years uh, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a head trip, I'll tell you. But yeah, some of these rooms, so you generally are expected to keep quiet. And as a, as a new guy just coming in uh, for, to a group of guys that have been hanging together forever, um, you generally, I generally keep to myself and just watch and listen and observe kind of, it's an interesting social anthropology. I had uh, one summer, I played two nights back to back through the summer. The first night was with um, university kids. They were 19, 20 year olds. And we played on Sunday night. So it was just after the weekend in the summer. So they were all just talking about getting drunk and which girl did that and this, that, and all these other exploits. And then the next night it was with this regular group of guys that are mostly in their 50s, 60s, a couple in their 70s, and a couple of their sons playing. And it was just a very different uh, bit of social anthropology. It was also interesting. I've been playing for a while and uh, going into these rooms as the whole Me Too uh, thing was happening. Was it about two two years ago now, around now, um, two or three, where there were people were you know, you hear it going to these rooms and it's just talk is like, oh, see, so-and-so got taken down. It's another one every every day. There's somebody going down and just seeing how it's interesting. Some guys in a room were, were that definite old masculine. Some rooms were just all the old masculine, but there was, there was always, you could see the other guys would, um, would were getting a little more empowered to chime up and speak up against this, which is, I really did find heartening. Some of these, you know, rooms I did not expect, you know, real kind of blue collar guys where, they're just joking about their exploits. Like, oh, I would have been thrown in jail for what we did down on that so-and-so 10 years ago. It's like, well, you know, guys are feeling a little more safe to say like, well, that was sexual assault you're talking about. So, you know, just that little, that, that little bit of smacking on the head, that play fighting, but now it's coming from a, it's a different group of, um, it's a different guys that are saying it. it's not just the alpha male. It's the, that, that is who has traditionally been the most powerful, strongest, toughest, and most in your face, most uh, willing to be confrontational. Now, now there's uh, a conversation happening from the ones that are not as atypical male. And I think that's a good thing. Do you find yourself speaking up in any of those moments? No, not really. I mean, when I, if I've known a group of guys, I play with them, I will, but I, I generally don't. And I am, I often will speak up if it's on a team I play for or in other circumstances. I'm, I'm not afraid of confrontation myself, but, uh, yeah, not generally in those because maybe because I am that other guy that's been invited there to sit there, but it's not, it feels like it's not really my place or, or that it, nothing will change by saying it, which although if it happens, you know, if there's somebody says a, uh, a racial or sexist remark in front of me, I will usually, I've tr been trying to find ways to give that little, you know, smack down without being confrontational. Like say, oh, hmm, you haven't met many people from, you know, this, this part of town where supposedly, you know, they're worse drivers or, you know, what have you. I'll just try to make a, a snide comment where they could examine that instead of saying, hey, finger wagging, say that's, that's racist, that's sexist. And, I think when you do that instantly, it's just the conversation stops and it goes to a different place. 
which is unfortunate. It totally does. And I, what I know of you and something I, I watch even on social media, you're willing to call out behavior and you do it in such a way that um, is not accusatory or that f finger wagging kind of way. It's an invitation into a new way of seeing things, a new perspective and no attachment to whether or not the person ever sees what you're trying to point out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find a way. I mean, one of my Malcolm Gladwellian skills that I've developed over 10,000 hours is arguing on the internet. But I spend a lot of time on forums as a young man growing up and just about arguing about nothing. It's, you know, the rules to ultimate Frisbee or about whatever. It's just the silliest things in the world. But I, I realized after a while, it's like, oh, we really are not communicating online. We we are talking to ourselves, and we're reading uh, in ourselves. We're not we people online. You read comments very ungenerously. You know, if if you can take it the wrong way, they will, because that's just how somehow we've trained ourselves to behave that way. Um, but when I so I I just as a especially as a writer as well, I try to I want to find a way to communicate with people. I don't necessarily need just so that. It, that sort of interests me is finding a way to to speak or present yourself in a way that somebody can hear what you're trying to say as opposed to hear what comes up first for them. Both are valid, but it'd be nice if those could be more online. So, yeah, if there's something that needs, you know, I I, I admit I'm not uh, I I have a snark a strong snark bone in my body and a sharp tongue, which I try to uh, try not to use for evil, but it sometimes comes out even for uh, even even for a uh, certain times but uh it isn't really helpful to send somebody you know i think that's a lot of problem with the divide in the world between the uh so-called progressives and conservatives is that people are just quick to finger wag and smack each other down whereas i think we need to find a better way to to talk to those people and i think that really does come down to compassion like you know you can i have this idea where you can be compassionate for the person that's doing this awful behavior while still absolutely refusing the awful behavior. I think that of sense of that's important today. Yeah, I think it's one of the most important places for us to continue exploring in this conversation around how to shift out of the traditional masculinity into more of the new masculine is to find what is that balance between calling out bad behavior and creating enough psychological safety for people to participate in a conversation and to, and to start developing that empathy piece. When you go lean too far into the snark or when you shut someone down, the empathy is no longer present. It's actually the wall goes up of the fence. And then that person most of the time is not going to have access to being able to experience how you feel it because their shame or their uh, anger or their boundary has been crossed. And so the wall goes right on up. And I also see the value, though, of calling out bad behavior and pointing those things out, especially us as men have to start doing that more now. I think there's a lot of women participating in the conversation of tearing down the patriarchy and um, toxic masculinity and stuff. And so I think I'd like to invite more men to really be having those conversations. And I guess that's what this conversation is all about. But how do we do it in a way that acknowledges that certain behavior is not okay? while also valuing the person. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, the, I don't want to 
diminish the people that do stand up and scream at somebody who's being awful because it's important for those voices to be heard. And it's important if somebody is being awful on somebody's comment thread that somebody else comes up and stands up and says, hey, no, you're being awful. And here's why you're, you're a terrible person. I mean, there are better ways, more effective ways to get that person to change. But just seeing, having that there for all the people that are just lurking and seeing it, if you, it's, it's not healthy to only see the awfuls or garbling on the internet. You know, you kind of need to have the other side too. Um, so that's important. But, and I do agree that in, with gender issues, it's, it's men that have to change men. With race issues, it's white folk that have to change white folk. You know, it's, you, it, it's, we have the more power uh, it, to talk to to say men talking to men, but we also have the, um, not just power, but it's a connection of empathy. And I think that's, that's, I have done a little bit of this in the past and of trying to reach out to somebody who's just being, you know, completely walls up and, uh, you know, just a troll on the internet, but you try to reach them with compassion and empathy. You say, Hey, uh, I understand how you're feeling. I can totally see how you're feeling. Is there a chance you're not, you're missing something here? And, and usually that can open them up. You could really, try to explain to them or empathize with them. Say, yeah, I can totally see how everything you do is wrong now. Today, everything you do is wrong. There will be some, it doesn't matter how much of a feminist you are, there's going to be 16 people lined up to, 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 to intersectionally divide you into a million pieces and say, no, 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 no. Here's how, why you're awful. And that's the one thing the more progressive side is really good at doing is smacking people on the nose for trying their best. And I think people that are not as, don't have as much time to study and try to be woke or try to be as progressive as they can. They're just trying to do their jobs. You know, they're going nine to five and trying to put their feet up at the end of the day. They don't have time to navigate all this. People that spend, have full-time jobs navigating all this aren't there. You're never going to get there, but it's hard for people like that to just constantly be told everything they're doing is wrong. I think oftentimes what can happen for many of us is that we start to see that person that might be behaving in a way that's not ideal or something that we don't agree with, we start to see them as a representation or a figurehead of all of that. Like you are the representation of toxic masculinity when they might have had a mistake or slip up or something like that. And actually trying to speak to the person and have that kind of conversation, as you were saying, does allow more opportunity for there to be a, a seeing of different perspectives, I think. Yeah, and I think that is important um, because there's a lot of hurt in the world. There's a lot of really awful behavior being perpetuated on people of less, uh, less power, less privilege. And ultimately, we need to get that to stop. And what's the fastest way to get that to stop is what I'm interested in. What's the most effective way? Uh, I mean, we've tried... You know, with the, I think, recent years, we've tried the shaming and blaming and finger pointing. And I think that's where you get people wearing red caps and chanting uh, at, at rallies, you know, which I, nothing pointing the finger and saying, you're wrong. This is awful. They're, that's correct. But it's also not as effective. So as, as men talking to other men, we need to find a way to do that. And I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to to do what we're doing here. I've also, I've created a 
Facebook group, uh, Sons of Menarchy, actually. I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but it was actually right around when, when the Me Too hashtag was blowing up. I was feeling like, okay, what can I do? How can I have this effect? And I was thinking, I want to talk to other men and just be that voice of, hey, you know, I hear you and let's hear them. You know, like if you're not feeling you're part of the conversations, like, well, of course, you got to listen and understand what conversations being had. Yeah, I want to encourage men to do all kinds of things like that. That's why I'm starting this podcast is because I have many women in my life who are a part of that and have had those experiences. And I've been listening to the women in my life and noticing how many of them don't really feel very safe. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to have open this conversation up as a way of doing my part to gather men who are ready for this conversation and ready to start supporting each other in growing up in that way. And I think something that's coming to mind for me is there's that sort of negative feedback loop, which is correcting bad behavior or pointing out behavior that's not right. But the other side of it that can be even more effective is the positive feedback loop, is really supporting and nurturing behaviors that we do want to see or ways of showing up that we do want to see. And I'm wondering... What are some of the qualities of the new masculine that you would really like to start nurturing and supporting in men around you? Hmm. Well, I think one of the traditional uh, qualities of masculine full stop is that um, being less afraid of confrontation, being willing to stand up and say, no, I'm right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on this hill. There's a power to that. I find a lot of times, I think a lot about how a lot of our negative uh, traits and things that are expressed negatively, they have at their core, they have a power in it where it just hasn't been directed in a useful way for whatever reason. So that ability to stand up and be strong, I think that can allow men to, or those who identify with masculine to stand up and say like, no, okay, this is I, what I believe is right. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, stand here. I think we need to shed a little bit of that combativeness where you're pushing and you're all wrong and this is that, but that's a, that's a power of uh, standing, staying true to yourself and what you believe. And I think that's an important part of it. Another part of it is being, being willing to be strong and tough. I think those are powers that are sometimes corrupted in men because they will isolate themselves, but being strong and tough can mean being vulnerable at its heart and it takes a lot of strength and a lot of toughness to be able to uh, either admit you need help or or be open yourself up to hurt uh, and i think that's an important part of that you can be men can be a little stronger and a little bit more uh, um, a little bit more sure of themselves in the right way <laughs> that would change it you know because <laughs> it sure happens a lot in the wrong way yeah it's so true i mean Ultimately, I think most of us men hear from the very early, our early stages of life, that vulnerability means weakness, not strength. And so what you're pointing out is it actually takes a lot more strength to, to sit in that tension of vulnerability. And if you allow yourself to try that on as strength, how different would the world look? Yeah, you, you it's funny when you get into one of those... Uh, sparring matches with somebody that, you know, they're kind of tribal, the, 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 the progressives and the, 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 the traditionalists there, where it's just like that, like you said, it's like, Oh, you're just representing this. You're, you know, that's just like people who do this. And you just, we like to, we like to be very tribal with this. But when you, when you try to 
meet somebody and be just be open and allow them to flame at you and just say, oh, that's okay. It's, you know, it's nothing about me. And it, it kind of, the few times I have had a few gotten to people online, it doesn't happen too often, but it, it's been when I've been trying to have that strength to be, to get somebody to, to yell at you and call you names and just say, and just return back the, the love. It, it's interesting though, because there's a lot of hurt people in the world. And people hurt people. And so I actually think part of why we're in that phase is we're so fatigued. We're so depleted in our resource, internal resources and our emotional resources that the only way that many people have to create safety for themselves is to separate and to keep you out there and to put you in that box so that I can be okay and sure of myself in this box. It's like a, a coping strategy to deal with everything we've been dealing with. And so I find it fascinating to think about how do we start to support each other in being able to have that kind of discourse that you're talking about that is about willingness to hear someone out and also recognize that's just them sharing their perspective. It doesn't actually have to be internalized and mean anything about me. Hmm. Yeah, and I think a big part of how... Uh, I'm able to do that is really trying to empathize and see the other person, see that hurt. Cause I, like you said, it's, there's a lot of hurt men out there. And I think a lot of the misogyny comes from that, uh, that hurt. So if you can really see them and try to understand why they're hurting or how, you know, some, uh, just yesterday, uh, a friend of mine shared a Facebook post, which was kind of just, ways of having more inclusive language instead of saying this maybe try this and it was it was nothing hectoring or nothing really triggering to you know the old masculine i didn't think but one guy came in there saying oh i'll be sure to say all the things that say don't and he i've seen him commenting on her stuff before and i was just like hey man what's going on you sound like you're you okay and just and he you know he came back a few times just like oh no you know this and that but i'm like well What's going on? I don't say things to be popular. So, well, it sounds like you're saying things to be unpopular. Is this, what's going on here? Are you, uh, are you, it can feel really isolating to be constantly told that you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't do that. But it's, is there, is there any of that? And he said, well, I just don't think that eventually he kind of softened and it got to the point where it was, uh, I felt, I don't know if I really made a breakthrough or changed this person, but I think I got the sense that, you know, if you can just send a little bit of compassion and love to somebody, they'll, just lower their guard just a little bit or they'll soften it just a little bit. That's what I'm hoping. And that's the thing I was trying to point out earlier, but I do notice that that's your style of discourse often, that you're willing to acknowledge what's not working or what what is potentially bad behavior or some uh, encroaching upon someone else's belief systems. or But you do it in a way that does share compassion that does listen to the other person and i as you're talking about that it makes me just think you should really teach <laughs> um ways of doing online discourse or ways of having a conversation with people we i mean we in many ways have so much more access to so many different more kinds of people because of social media and yet people are isolating in it more and more and more mm -hmm. And your way of connecting with them is actually to bring a piece of the feminine in, to bring in the the compassion, to bring in the empathy, to 
connect with the person rather than to retreat to your side as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally get when somebody isn't able to do that. If there is, um, you can't expect a woman, uh, a woman who has been victimized. You can't expect a, a victim to have compassion for their attacker, you know, or anybody, any other man. It's you can't expect that. But that's where it comes in as men's roles to fix. If men are, if men are the problem, which I believe they are, and uh, a lot of things in the world, men are going to have to fix that. Men are going to have to the ones that are strong and are want to be leaders and and be forces of good. We're going to have to stand up and and say, hey, let's do this. Now we figure out what's the best way to do that. I mean, my part of what I, why I kind of chose Sons of Menarchy as that, that anti biker gang, you know, the, is that I like this idea of if there could be, imagine if there were, uh, you know, hordes of men out there that you, you could just call in and tag somebody and say, come in, hey, we need a little bit of support. And if it wasn't just, you know, flaming attacks on the other side, you know, throwing names, calling names at each other, but if it was just, just, just guys that'll just stand there, it reminds me of the, um, you know, I don't want to call out bikers because there's a lot of great ones. I, I, I'm remembering there, uh, a news story in, uh, up here where there was a, this, there were bikers that were in a club, you know, leather clad bikers, really gruff men. And that they were standing with people and victims just saying, okay, we're going to stand near in the courtroom and be there with you so you can say your truth up there and just be supportive. But if, you know, that, that's, there's some divine masculinity for sure in a lot of quote unquote biker groups or gangs or what have you, you know, the non, um, I like that idea of, because also in the old masculine, one of our powers is protecting. You know, men are good at protecting. It's probably a trait we were evolved to do. You know, um, that has a lot of paternalistic and ownership issues when men try to be protective of it, because that's the old culture gender roles. But some of that protection can be, I think there's an, there's a way for us where we can use that for good and probably starts with an invitation from a woman. Uh, um, but I think that could be an important part of of helping. Well, I love that you're trying to create a sense of community around it, because I do think community is really important. As you were saying, like, we as men have to be the ones to change the rules. Well, we have to because we're the ones that are agreeing to play by these rules. We are the one like women aren't necessarily agreeing to play because they're not raised in that way. We're the ones that keep saying yes to these rules that were given to us. And so those on the inside of the rules have to be the ones to change the rules. And it's really hard to do that when you're isolated an individual, but in community, in connection, it becomes so much more easy to gain strength in a new way of being and to find belonging in new ways of being rather than in the old ways of being. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. And you're doing it with the Sons of Menarchy and I'm doing it with a podcast mm-hmm. is gathering men together who are ready to belong to some new crew <laughs> yeah. and let that ripple, let that have an impact on the world. Let that ripple out from there. Yeah. Just modeling that behavior can have a big effect, even if it's on your friend's uh, Facebook comments just to, you know, if you don't want to go 10 rounds because it's not your particular thing, like it is mine, weird person that I am. Um, just having, dropping a line of support or say, Hey, you know, I'm with you. Yeah. Or, Hey, dude, that's not okay. And you don't have to get into it. But I think that has a big effect, just modeling the behavior you want to see in the world and being that support. And, uh, yeah, that can really make a big difference. Yeah. 
So as we're starting to think about this new model of masculinity or gathering community around a new way of being as men, who do you think shows up in the world embodying some of the traits of the new masculine so far? Do you have any uh, idols or archetypes that you look towards or people that you really respect? Well, there's a lot of people out there on the internet now who are modeling that behavior. Uh, a lot of celebrities, you know, uh, I, Patrick Stewart is one of them. I, uh, he's, I kind of jokingly say he was one of my father figures. I was raised by Jean-Luc Picard growing up because that was, you know, kind of <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard and, and maybe Gary Larson, the far side illustrator, you know, a weird, <laughs> weird guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, 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 Patrick Stewart grew up and his mother was abused by his father. And so he does a lot of work for, for helping women. You know, there's Mark Ruffalo and Tom Hardy, and there's probably a lot of other guys that are, are trying to model that new masculine where they are trying to say, Hey, this is, you know, it comes to a certain point. If you're, if you're aware of a problem and you do nothing, you're complicit in it. You're, uh, you're, you're part of it. You're doing it. And to a degree, uh, just like the people, you know, it's no longer, safe to say oh i don't know what's happening i don't know what's happening out there so it is happening out there if if you don't see it that's you got to start looking for it and so i see a lot of it's becoming i think a lot of men out there who are realizing it now they're sta standing up more and more and i think a, for me a big change was the me too and then hashtags started going around like i intellectually had an idea of the scope of the problem but i did not realize how many women had a Me Too story. Almost every woman, probably everyone out there knows, has a story about that. And that's, I didn't have, that That was a big shift in my thinking. It's like, okay, something's got to be done about this. Yeah, I, it was a huge awakening for many of us um, to know, to just see how many of the people that we personally know and people that we don't personally know acknowledge that that's their experience of the world and that was a really powerful moment and i appreciate you pointing out sort of celebrity people that you can look up to because i think one of the things that's missing for many of us as men is we don't have models of the new masculine we don't have models of really healthy masculine we've got um some of the traditional stuff and even the good men in our lives are still struggling with those rules and so we don't get to see many men free of that and I don't know that there are men free of that either. <laughs> I think we yeah. all are parts of it. Yeah, I mean, we're we're all products of our upbringing, cultural and our familial upbringing, and it's hard to change. But I mean, I I don't, you know, you kind of can't expect somebody to change. Just just want to do better and be willing to to do that. And it's hard to. There's not, like you said, yeah. There's not a lot of uh, of men out there that model that except if they're an actor you know you have a little bit more privilege as an artist you can you can be you know, that you kind of get the license for oh okay okay you know you're gonna get that no and many there are many men in in the celebrity world and that are not living up to that as well i mean i think for a generation of people bill cosby was sort of representative of that and now we yeah see it very differently yeah. Um, and so I do think it's important, though, to continually looking, continue to look for men who are trying and to really 
bring them up and to nurture that and to support that and to celebrate that because it is scary work sometimes to go against what the masculine culture says that you should be. I've noticed the tendency in myself to shy away from being called the the white knight coming in to save a woman or to be a social justice warrior. There's that feeling of not being, uh, you know, having somebody, another guy say like, oh, you're just doing this in order to get girls like you. You're, you're kind of femme washing or whatnot. They would use those lines that language, but, you know, getting, getting called out. So I think what you said, having giving men giving up props to other men for standing up. I think that's a big part of it. And I don't, that's something I've seen a lot together. So maybe that's something I want to change more myself when I see somebody uh, behaving in a way that I like to say, Hey, thanks for that. That's really important. Or, you know, I really like that. And it doesn't have to be a big deal, but that can really embolden somebody, you know, giving the kudos instead of just the, uh, the negative reinforcement, the positive can make a big effect. I think it's so important to actually really lean into that piece of things because we as men aren't really taught how to be intimate with each other, how to share a vulnerable space with each other. And that can feel really intimate and vulnerable to compliment another man or to build them up in some way. Um, we're so used to kind of digging at each other as a way of play and as a way of intimacy. But I think there are other ways to do it. I think in my work with men, when I've done men's only workshops, um, doing Equus work, the, the horse work that I do, what I, the consistent thing I hear from these men is as they start to talk to each other and be vulnerable and share where they're scared and, and talk in that more intimate space, they just are desperate for more of it. And I think if you can find the strength to be able to push through that little bit of tension or vulnerability that shows up in doing that, I think it starts to create new models for ways for us as men to connect because I don't think this is just an unsafe world for women oh, yeah. or for LGBT people or for people of different race. It's unsafe between us mm -hmm. and finding ways to increase the safety between us is the way that we continue having these conversations that we continue evolving, that we continue casting off the rules that no longer resonate with us. Yeah. And I guess if you don't have a lot of experience with that, it can feel really intense when uh, a man is interacting with you in a way that's not the standard, you know, hey, bro, hey, bro, you know, <laughs> fist bump. So I don't know, finding ways to kind of lower the volume on that tension. You know, I, I think Honestly, a lot of the conversations, uh, it helps when you use uh, emojis and GIFs, you know, like emojis, people love to turn their nose at them, but it, it really helps communicate online. It helps uh, communicate emotionally online, communicate by feeling. And I think that's, it sounds like a silly thing, but I think that's a big way you can do it. It's like, hey, this is, this is, we're being real, but we're not being like super heavy real. We're not just, it's not just all punctuation and periods here. We're also putting goofy face or putting GIFs somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the way that emojis are here to save the world, basically. I, but I do think it's true. I do think the things that are lost in written language, the context, the emotion that's lost, mm -hmm. can be added back through imagery. And those are just one version of imagery that's there. Well, the way I'd like to sort of close this interview is to ask you, if you had one piece of advice for men moving forward, what would it be? 
I think for a lot of men, uh, men out there, I, I know you're hurting. I felt that hurt and I can still feel that hurt, uh, in ways. You were born into a role that you didn't decide and you're just trying to make the best of it. And that can often make us behave and act in ways that are keep push people away. But you know, the, the best way to heal is to let people in. It's scary as hell, but you start letting people in and it starts feeling good right away. And you, it's nice to have people that are close to you. It's nice to have people come in through, through your defenses. It's, you actually get stronger and you become more powerful and you become a better man. It's something that you have modeled so nicely to me in our relationship is my version of where I close down in the world is because of the, my relationship to shame, the things I've internalized throughout my life. And it is really vulnerable, as you were saying, to be in a space with a man where a man's talking very directly to me and is complimenting me it feels so uncomfortable i have to actually force myself to sit in that and what i love about our friendship and in the in having you a part of my life is watching how you navigate the world with what appears to me lacking that internalized shame and maybe you have some of it but you have a lot less than i do yeah 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 it's there but i i it doesn't have the same grip on me as i think for others yeah. And you share yourself so generously with people, just your being, not you don't, it's not like you're sharing finances or sharing, but you share your being so effortlessly and so generously. Oh, try to get me to stop. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is so inspiring to me because I can often become less generous with myself what because of the shame. And what you're saying about like, it does feel better when you open up and let people come in close. That is the healing. The, the healing is not in the coping with that pain. The healing is in moving through that threshold and allowing a new experience to come through. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's not, it's a lot easier when you have great people around you like you and like the people we know where it's safe to open up. And that's what I really like uh, about our friendship is the way you are willing to look back at, at, at me and, and have that real conversation and talk. And it's like, and I feel really encouraged by it. Like, I think one of the great things about this work you're doing here with the New Masculine podcast is you you have this big inviting presence saying, come on, let's, let's do this. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be scary and that's okay. You're, you're going to laugh and joke the whole time, but you're also, you have this wisdom and this truth that from your experience of everything you've learned growing up and in schooling, but you, uh, that is really inviting. The, the water feels really nice when you can make that. I think that's a big part of it is that playfulness and that, that you, you can, you can be, you can do the play fighting. You can be, I mean, boys, can, we can still spar and have fun that way. That there's nothing wrong with that, with being that, but it's also, let's do it with intention. Let's, let's kind of, let's train ourselves to the right direction instead of train ourselves through these play fighting and sparring into the wrong. Yeah. I love playing. I love teasing. I love the, that part of, like boyish play together and 
there's an unconscious version of it and there's a conscious version of it. Mm. And I found myself in such the unconscious version for a lot of my life where it was about um, poking at someone or teasing them sometimes actually to feel okay in myself. Like, Mm. Oh, look, I'm noticing their stuff or I'm, and that, and eventually that stopped feeling fun to me. And I really wanted to, to use it in a way that was in service of the relationship rather than in service of myself or my own insecurities. Yeah, that that's that's where I carry my shame is that poking and teasing where it was unconscious and which I realize now came from my own place of hurt. And yeah, that's, you know, I look back on the old Craig and be like, oh, but that he just needed a hug, you know? His behavior was absolutely not okay. You don't get any kudos for that, but he just, he just needed a hug. So that I'm kind of, kind of using that model of how I was uh, to try to reach the men up there who were I was not that long ago, really. Yeah. So if the listeners wanted to connect with you or wanted to join your community of men, uh, Sons of Menarchy, <laughs> what are ways that they could connect with you beyond this podcast? Well, they, um, I have a Facebook group, Sons of Menarchy. Uh, it's kind of been in stealth mode. I haven't been putting a lot into it, but I, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to start doing more is just come together and you know share experiences and share what you're seeing and and try to hash it out you know figure out okay what is a lot of a lot of the the way we should behave right now i don't necessarily agree with all of it but you know that's if men don't agree with all of it, we got to talk about it so come together to to talk about this and navigate it and 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 have that discussion also i have a page uh on facebook craig temple um where i'm going to put uh, as a writer i'm going to put some be a little bit more active on there and see some stuff coming along with the lines of what we've been talking about um yeah i'm also on twitter i don't know you can find me my facebook my personal facebook is public so if you want pictures of cats and 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 funny gifts you can always find me on there too <laughs> Well, I think it's a good thing for people to start looking for you because I know that you've got some writing in in the in the works and wanting to put some more of your writer identity out there into the world. And I think that many men, many people in general, could really benefit from your perspective of the world. I know I really have. Thank you, and I certainly have. With you. Thank you. If um, people want to participate in this conversation on a deeper level, feel free to get in contact with me as well. My website is travisstock.com. You can also just email me directly at travisstock03 at gmail.com. Or you can connect with me on my Instagram at travers03, T-R-A-V-E-R-S-0-3. It's a little bit of my personal life, but also stuff around my coaching. So if you want to participate and get involved in this conversation, please feel free to reach out. Until our next conversation, I'm so grateful, Craig, for you joining uh, the, the, the new masculine movement. And I'm super excited to see where this conversation continues to go.